Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, you know what I've been thinking about, Justin? I have no idea. A Marketing Geeks app. I think we need an app, man. Yeah, I think, I think we're due. We need an app desperately. What would our app do? What, what would it do, though? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It'd have our, like our, uh, Rick and Morty faces on there. The, the cartoon face. Version. You, know what I, you know what I think? I think that our app should be like a, a listener slash dating app. So our seven listeners can date each other. Oh, I like That's that. I think. You like that? Yeah. Or, uh, even for our episodes, like you could swipe, swipe right. If you like it, swipe left. If you don't. Ooh, I don't I, want to see those. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> Can I know this is not, but, uh, you know, you know who could help us though? Who's that? Our next guest. Yeah. With, yeah, with man. An app with an app. We could get the mark. I mean, it's, it's within the realms of possibility. Would you like to know more? Go on. Oh, okay. Well, I will tell you as soon as we, uh, play our theme song and pay some bills, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Andre Sturgeon. And I'm Justin Womack. We are the marketing geeks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right. Welcome back to the Marketing Geeks. Tell, tell us about our guest there, Mr. Womack. Yes, 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 yes. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Stephanie Cox, who comes to us from a company called Lumavate. And Stephanie has more than 15 years of marketing experience and is the vice president of sales and marketing for Lumavate. Uh, in her current role, she leads sales, marketing, customer success, and support and product management. And she's also the host of the weekly podcast, Real Marketers, as opposed to fake marketers like us, uh, formerly known as Mobile Matters, and interviewing marketing and tech senior leaders from Google, Microsoft, Simon Property Group, Aetna, AT&T, Allegiant, Lowe's, and more. And prior to Lumivate, Stephanie held marketing leadership roles at Project Lead, The Way, One Click Ventures, Salesforce, Exact Target, and more. And she has an MBA from Indiana University and a bachelor's degree in advertising and public relations, English, and political science from Franklin College. Please welcome to the show, Stephanie Cox. How are you, Stephanie? I'm good. How are you guys? Awesome. Wow. Great to have you're, you on. You're actually... Now, now uh, the thing that I, I respect and admire about you already is that unlike uh, Justin and I, who just kind of go... Yeah, I could be a marketer, and then we just learn <laughs> stuff. You actually got educated, and that's something uh, I think that we we probably should have done at some point before we even. <laughs> hey, I, have, I have an associate's degree in marketing, all right. 
but my bachelor's is in biopsych, so it's not quite the same. <laughs> so, uh, so you you really know what you're doing here. So, so first of all, uh, yeah, tell us a, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up where you are now. Well, I went to school at Franklin College thinking I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. That was in the late '90s. Mm. Um, oh, journalism! I remember that. Right? Like we, <laughs> this thing we used to have, we used to print papers back in the day. Um, I try to explain that to my kids and they're very confused. They're like on the internet. I'm like, no, not on the internet. So I went to school thinking I wanted to be a newspaper reporter, like an actual like beat reporter that was like out in the streets. And I did a semester on the college paper and I was like, I do not want to do this. And so that was thankfully, um, I got into ad PR and really like at the time, digital wasn't a career path in college, right? There wasn't there was marketing and there's at, like at our school, which is liberal arts, there's ad PR. So that's where I learned how to do websites. And honestly, I like, taught myself how to use back in the day, Adobe PageMill. This was before like Dreamweaver was even big. Wow. And right, like taught myself how to do that, taught myself HTML and really started taking off in that area. And then my first job out of school, I um, did a lot with digital, partially because like I kind of lucked into it, honestly. I took the role and in and, and marketing and their big thing was, hey, you're young. You understand the internet. I was like, I mean, I guess. That's kind of like what goes on today with social media. Like people look at you like, hey, you're young. You could do social media, right? No. Right? Like you understand <laughs> the Twitters. Um, so that's kind of how I got started. And back then, not everyone had a website. So that was kind of crazy to think of today. And, you know, used to send email back in the day, like 500 people at a time, BCC via Outlook. For people who like lived during the early 2000s, they know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it kind of grew from there. I I, I never forwarded those letters ever, and <laughs> that's probably why I didn't I didn't get rich and I broke both my legs. Mm-hmm. I remember when merge tags came out and you could put somebody's first name in an email, and that was like, oh my god, this person is personally sending me an email. It was a big deal, and then everybody and then everybody learned the trick, and it was like, oh, yeah, sad. <laughs> so, so you've really, you've really seen uh, how, I mean, you've been involved with the, 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 the kind of how the internet has evolved and uh, some marketing from the very, very beginning. So were you, were you doing like early SEO where you were like keyword cramming into, you know, it, it, with, with the same colored text as the background, that type of thing? I'm um, never to that extent, but definitely keyword cramming and definitely trying to think about like, how many words can you fit into your, you know, meta tags and stuff like that. And then I think just really uh, email marketing, I got started on that pretty early too, trying to think about, you know, this is before anyone had best practices around email marketing. It was like, just send more email um, and quickly learned that that was a horrible idea and counterproductive. But yeah, it started really early on um, where I was building websites, building, building emails, social media was new and everyone, no one knew what it was. Um, when Facebook came out, people were like, how do we get on the Facebook <laughs> or this Twitter thing? Like, can you do the Twitter thing for us? And I mean, I just took advantage of it and said, yeah, and figured it out. Yeah. And really, it, I think the nice thing about it was my first two jobs out of school, I worked at mid-sized companies where, you know, the marketing team, my first job out of school was like four people. The marketing team, my second job out of school was just two. It was me and someone else. And so I really got to do everything within marketing. So direct mail, digital, SEO, brand, PR, content. And I think that's really what's helped me as a marketer grow my career so fast. And the advice I give to other marketers starting out, go to a big company if you want to be a specialist in something. But if you really want to learn how to do everything in marketing, go to a smaller, medium-sized business because you're the only person. 
you're going to have to learn yeah. how to do it all. Amen to that. And and especially, you know, you make yourself indispensable mm-hmm. when you if you if you can like make video, know how to post it in a way that is is keyword friendly, you know, maintain a website, uh, create content, know some SEO. If you could just do those things, you've got the you could do what four people normally can do and then then they can't fire you. I will say that um having it's like knowing elvish, you know. <laughs> yes. Having started my own company, uh, I 100% agree with you because uh, I've been forced to go into areas of marketing that I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. And and the more that I do this as I get into like, you know, 5 years of doing it, it's like, wow, I thought I knew a lot about marketing, but like I've been tested and and just Mm -hmm. unopened new doors every single year and just it gets deeper and deeper and deeper with like the level of tracking and lead sourcing and things like that and so it's an ever evolving thing now one thing i want to ask you though is because you you're now working for a company called lumivate you're now Mm -hmm. doing um mobile and apps were you an early adopter of the iphone when it rolled out around 2006 or were you um did you get one later on and then did you just kind of stumble into getting into mobile and apps or like how how early were you marketing on mobile devices Uh, i just want to hear that yeah okay so this is going to date me so i was like a diehard blackberry girl Mm -hmm. like in the late 2000s i remember those Um, days (laughs) right like they were i love that blackberry curve like i did not want to give it up but so fun fact you could actually develop mobile apps for blackberries so some of the first apps i ever did in my career were for blackberries and windows phones as well as android and ios so it was about 2010 i got into the mobile app game and did that at ingersoll rand and had the opportunity to build mobile apps that allowed you to control your home from your mobile device which is a pretty cool concept back then so the idea of a smart home was the first diy solution so think about turning on your lights on and off, unlocking your doors, et cetera. And, you know, back then the app store was only a couple of years old. Everyone wanted an app. No one really knew how to build them. <laughs> um, no one really knew the best practices around UI UX. It was totally different and to- you know, than the web. And even the web to some extent, right? A lot of people were still just figuring out how to do the web well in that time as well. And then you had all these different operating systems. I can't tell you how many times like I would get so frustrated because my role was over subscriber engagement. So we were a subscription platform um, that you could use to control your home. And so I took all the subscriber feedback. I was the one responsible for acquiring them, retaining them because they, you know, monthly churn was a big thing that we had to think about. And then also, you know, what should our product look like? What should that user flow be? You know, how what does the Android app do and how do we manage what it does versus iOS? Because they're, it's a totally different dev set. So that was really like my first entree into it. And I really fell in love with mobile. And I would also say like, I fell in love and also had so many war rooms. Like I can't tell you how many times like you get rejected by the app store. And back in the day, they wouldn't even tell you why they just reject you. (laughs) Right. And it's like, great. Awesome. And then you, that's like, that's like every date I've ever had. in the first few (laughs) days. They don't even tell you why. <laughs> no, but then you keep doing it, right? You just keep like going back again and again. So that was like super frustrating or like back in the day with Android, you know, where they released some new food named, you know, um, I, so operating system like honey or what was it like gingerbread? Well, now the app doesn't work on gingerbread. Well, great. Why? No idea. Let's figure that out. 
Now you, but you don't, you don't have a background in coding though. You said you did HTML, but that's not how you're going to code an app. So oh. I mean, at this point, were you, when you were working in mobile, were you working with developers that would mm -hmm. do the app and then you were taking on the marketing side of things and submitting them and handling that part? Is that correct? Yeah. And then also working on like the product requirements for it. So what should the product do? Like how, what, how should it function? What should be the UX of it? Um, you know, and we were kind of in a really complex situation too, because our smart home device also use what's called Z-Wave, which is a mesh network. And so trying to explain to consumers how to use a Z-Wave device and, you know, create this spider web mesh throughout their homes so all their devices talk to each other. Let's just say it's hard. <laughs> Real <laughs> yeah. hard. No kidding. <laughs> I, I, used, I used to work tech support for cable boxes for Comcast. And that was ridiculous, but but that that's like a whole other level. <laughs> whole other so, level, right? So okay, so so simultaneously, while this is going on, this is kind of a startup too, right? Yeah. So you're dealing with like a startup, and you're dealing with like the tech and trying to figure it out as you move along, and uh, you're you're way ahead of the curve because uh, you know the, what year was this? This is 2010, right? Yeah. So, so the, the smart home was still like a faraway concept. Correct. And everyone thought it was expensive. They didn't know there was DIY solutions. And then you like layer in the concept of, you know, at the time, like the iPhone had just come out. No one knew how to really use their phone. Like, I think we underestimate that, like how few consumers actually back then, and sometimes even today, like really know how to use their device the way it's intended to be used. And then QR codes were a big thing that like started spinning up in like 2010. And so like all marketers, I was like, yeah, let's use them. Let's put them on packaging. And so we put them like on all this packaging that went to Lowe's and Best Buy and Home Depot. And you know what? We had like seven people scan them. And I'm pretty <laughs> no. sure it was like that, that me and right. my mom. Yeah. Your mom. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Which after I probably explained to her how to scan it, um, because no one knew how to do any of this stuff. And I think that's the thing what's crazy about mobile back then is a lot of apps were created because we had a new shiny object, the app store. Everyone wanted their logo in the app store. And there was some discoverability that it gave, right? Because people back then did go to the app store and just search for apps. But they never thought about, why am I creating an app? Do people actually want an app? What am I going to do once I create the app? <laughs> like, am I going to update it ever? And it really kind of created the problem that we have today, which is this bloated app store. Now, in the same way that I would say WordPress came along and made website development possible for the everyday person. And then then that evolved into things like Squarespace and Wix and Weebly and all these kind of really easy to create website builders. You're kind of taking that idea with uh with Lumavate and you're you're creating a, a way for someone that doesn't know how to code to kind of create the uh user interface and user experience of an app uh through your platform. So so what what year did, did Lumavate start in 2010? You said, or what year did Lumavate kind of kick off? Yeah. And 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 tell me a little bit about the journey and a little bit about the company, um, exactly what that company does. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been around for about five years now, and really the idea for Lumavate spun up out of another company that one of our board members um, is invested in. They were having this need. It kind of ties back to QR codes, which is why it's so hilarious that my you know life has come full circle. But, you know, they were working with manufacturers who had a lot of things around product manuals, you know, just requirements that they need to communicate on devices like your lawnmower, right? Like how many people keep the product manual for the lawnmower? No one, <laughs> right? Or if you do, it's like in some drawer like of junk. So the thought was, it'd be really cool if I could put a QR code on that and scan a QR code and then be able to get my product manual. And so it's always with the device. 
And that's really the, the, where the concept for Illuminate started. And I would tell you, I joined um, in 2017. And that was really when we were about, we we're making a big shift into this world of progressive web apps. So we had always delivered prior to that apps on the web. But in 2015, around the same time that we got started, Google came out with this concept called a progressive web app, which is really the ben blending the benefit of native mobile with the web. So what a lot of people don't realize is the web has really done a lot over the last five years and kind of caught up with what's possible on native mobile. Not everything, but a lot of things. And they thought there has to be a better way to deliver native app-like functionality and make it easier and make it not take up as much space on your phone, make it, which just means it's cheaper to download in countries where bandwidth is an issue or is very costly. Hence, progressive web apps. So in 2017, we really pivoted to PWAs and delivering all of our apps that way and becoming you know, really focused on being a platform for marketers to use. Because that's also where you start to see this, this whole concept around citizen developers, which is a horrible term and I really hate, hate it. Um, but it's a term that Gartner coined, which is basically like, there are people in the business that need to do things and build apps and they don't know how to code. <laughs> how do you enable them to do that? And that's really what we're about. And we're focused for marketers and saying, sometimes you need to brainstorm an idea in the, in the morning on a whiteboard and then build something later that day. And how can we enable that? How can we get IT out of the middle and really allow you to do what you're good at, which is creating engaging digital customer experiences? That's really cool. And how did you get involved with them? Yeah, so I was at Project Lead the Way um, running marketing for them. So they're an, one of the largest nonprofits in the United States for STEM education and super happy. And Indianapolis is a small town. There's a couple of people in town that if they ever reach out and ask for a coffee, you will 100% always take it no matter what. And it was one of those people that reached out to me and wanted to talk to me about Limivate. Um, he is on our board. His name is Bill Godfrey. He founded Aprima, which was acquired by Teradata for um, half a billion dollars in late 2000s. And he wanted to talk to me about this opportunity. And it really was a great blend of what I've done before, which is what I like in opportunities. It was focused on mobile. By that time, I had about a decade of mobile experience. Um, I've done mobile in 10 countries. It also focused on selling to marketers. And in my career, selling marketing to marketers is the best job in the world, honestly. <laughs> it really is. And I, that was exciting. I also had this kind of cool B2B, B2C, and B2B2C um, lens to it that I also really enjoyed in my career before, but I had never been, been in the company this early on, um, you know, really where you were truly, truly in startup mode. So that was very, very entertaining and exciting to me. And so wow. here we I mean, are. Just, just, uh, you know, that's like when the, when you get a call and it's just like, yes, I want to talk to you about a possible position with this, you know, it's like, I mean, that's, that's, uh, uh, I don't know if that'll ever happen to me because, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but that, that's awesome. That is so awesome. I mean, that's a dream, really. It's a dream. So, so, uh, so why don't, if you could, uh, there, there's a, there's a story that was broke just a few days ago about Fortnite and going to war with Google and Apple. So in that, within this, that context, can you break down the state of apps today and and what is really going on here what's the bigger picture that we're talking about yeah so i think the number one misconception around native mobile apps is that you own your app you don't it's just like your twitter handle twitter can take that away from you at any time 
the app store can kick you out of the app store at any time for any reason. We've seen that happen. Um, Fortnite is, an, is the most recent example of that. Earlier this year before Fortnite was Hey, which is an email platform that was founded by the um, founders of Basecamp. Um, last year, you would have seen that around Facebook, right? They abused their, in their situation, they abused their developer credentials issued by the app store. And so Apple turned off their dev credential licenses, which is how they deploy all of their internal apps, which caused part of Facebook to internally to not be able to function. Can, can we get all of it to not function? Well, <laughs> how, do we, how do we do that? <laughs> right? Why can't they shut that off instead of like Fortnite? Right? Um, I know I said this earlier um, last week, I think on Twitter, like what are the teenagers going to do? Like when they're talking about shutting down TikTok in the United States and they're, they've are they pulled Fortnite from the app store. Like what do my teenager, ki teenage kids do? So I guess they revert to, to the old school Snapchat. They're the really, yeah. really old stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they can't, they can't go, uh, go out and uh, get into trouble even it's uh, right? you know, <laughs> So what, what exactly, so there's always been a little bit of pushback. Mm -hmm. so, so what happened? So basically this one and the one with Hey really came down to the same concept, which is a, Apple wants 30% of your revenue. Mm -hmm. And so they're real picky. They're real picky about it um, in terms of how it's done. So they don't want you directing your users to a, their a website to purchase. They want it done in app because they want to be able to claim 30% of that. 30% is a huge number. Yeah, And I think that's something that we need to, that needs to be addressed to begin with, but they've been the behemoth for so long. No one's really had, I think the really guts to push back on them and say like, that's ridiculous. Can you elaborate on, um, let's talk about the Apple app store. We'll start with Apple. Mm -hmm. Can you yeah. elaborate on some of the terms? And when you, when you say that you don't own the rights to your app and that you're paying 30% revenue, can we, let's talk about what it means to list an app in the Apple app store. And, and also how, what do you do differently with Lumivate? Yeah. So when you list an app, when you want to list an app in the Apple app store, you have to get what's called app or app developer credentials. They're different for each store. Um, with Apple, they're $99 a year. It's super cheap to do. So it's easy for anyone to be able to get those credentials. And that's what you use for testing your app. It's also how you can use to deploy to employee apps, because what a lot of people also don't realize is employee only apps should never be in the app store. So there's lots of examples of that out there today that are not following Apple's rules. And what happens is you submit your app. And through a combination of both automated and real person evaluation, they determine if your app is accepted or rejected. And they do that with every single new app, as well as every single update to an existing app. What people have not really paid attention to is 60% of apps every week are accepted, which means 40% are rejected. Hmm. So think about that, like, right? If they have 100,000 apps that get submitted for the first time or for an update, 40,000 are rejected every week. It's a wow. large number. Is one of the factors, like, if do they look at the potential profitability in their eyes and say, this looks like something that's going to make us money, we're going to approve it, this doesn't seem like a viable financial thing, so I'm going to deny it, even though the programming's all good, is that a, a consideration, or is it mostly, mostly just like a clear programming guidelines? Um, I think it, I can't tell you that that definitely plays into it. I think some people would say that there have been instances where that might be the case, where they've pushed back. Or they've pushed and said, hey, there is a way for you to earn money through your through your product. You're just not doing it in your app. You're doing it on your website. And while you may not direct someone in your app to go to your website, we expect you to put that into your app. 
that's definitely happened. I think what they're doing is really getting, a, and this has happened the last two or three years, getting a lot more strict on what an app is. Mm-hmm. So there's even guidelines now for what, not just like development, how you should build it, but whether or not it should qualify as an app in the app store. And they're basically saying that if it doesn't use a certain type of functionality that is really specific and only available via native mobile, it should not be in the app store. And this isn't just apps because like, I know there was something with Amazon for a while where you can't buy like Amazon Kindle books from the Amazon app. I think because the margins are so small on many of those, like they're like 99 cents. So uh, they, they would, they would not allow them to be sold through the app. You'd have to actually go through a browser and so, I mean, is that, so this goes on, I mean, Apple is kidding cuts of revenue for using Safari on an iPhone too, for, uh, for some of these big, big companies is my understanding. Yeah. Is, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Apple wants all your money. So, so what <laughs> happened with Fortnite? Can you, can you explain briefly yeah. what happened with Fortnite? Yeah. So what happened with Fortnite is kind of similar to what happened with Hey, um, this summer, which is they wanted to push an update. Um, and then as part of that update, they got rejected and pulled. So there's a couple of things that can happen. Um, one, they can just reject your update, which means you just can't push out effects. So with Hey Hey's example, that was an example of they didn't they rejected the first update, which had a bug fix in it. So that now we have an app. They had an app out there that wasn't functioning correctly. With Fortnite, it was a little bit different. Um, they actually pulled them completely from the app store, and with that, you know they're not available. And I think if you look at what Fortnite did so quickly. When it happened, they launched the, you should, hopefully you've seen the commercial that kind of references 1984 and this whole concept. They, they knew it was going to happen. <laughs> this is not something that was a surprise to them. And if you've been paying attention with what's happening with big brands, especially when it involves a rev share with Apple, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. And they're just the first ones to really do something big about it. Like, hey, I think really set the tone because they have a lot of influence given their history with Basecamp and got a lot of big publications to, to really call out Apple this summer and got Apple to kind of like acquiesce on a couple of things, not on the rev share, but on a couple other things. Um, so for, like Fortnite knew this was likely going to happen. I think they've been planning it for a while of how they'd respond, which was honestly genius. So how, how what did they, so what's the, what's the solution now? Um, I think what the solution is honestly is going to be Apple. One of two things happening. One, the market saying, we're tired of Apple controlling the world in terms of native mobile apps. There has to be a better way to do this. And there are, is technology out there that is just as great as what you can do with native mobile that isn't controlled by Apple. Or honestly, probably regulation that prevents Apple from doing what, you know, having a monopoly and behaving the way they're behaving, which I know some, you know, legislators in the US have already called for, but there's a reason why there is a lot of great things about Apple, but then with the app store, they do kind of act like little dictators. Yeah. So, so uh, that, that leads us into what your business is doing, which is Mm -hmm. being able to kind of, in a sense, circumvent the app stores completely. So how would that work as far as like functionality and tell me like the types of functions that you, you, that you provide as a solution? Yeah, so we deliver everything as a progressive web app. So I like to say, imagine if you took a native mobile app functionality in the web and it had a baby. That's a progressive web app. It's all the benefits of native mobile that you love. So ability to save your home screen. It can work in low to no connectivity. It can you know, integrate with your camera, geolocation, gyroscope, et cetera. 
but it's delivered on the web. And so what that means is anywhere you can put a call to action now can be a way to access your app. So before, if you were in the app store, you would say, you know, like go to the app store to download my app, which like no one does anymore, right? If you think back to the last time you as a consumer downloaded a native mobile app, it's probably been months, you know, over 50% of consumers haven't downloaded a single native mobile app in the last three months. And part of it's because it's a horrible experience and no one wants to put that crap on their phone anymore. So now in the new world, I can scan a QR code, I can click on a link, I can text in, or I can use NFC, which is what powers Apple Pay, the ability to touch my phone to something and actually get an app on my phone in like two seconds. Like that's where the future is headed. So it basically goes to essentially like a web page, right? Yes, but it's like a special web page. Got it. And so, so tell me, give me, can you give me an example of the types of things that I'd be able to do with this? Yeah. So my favorite example, and they're not a customer of Lumivate, but I think they're the one that everyone can relate to is Starbucks. So Starbucks has their native mobile app, right? You, everyone kind of knows what you can do with it. It's 146 megabytes on average. Their progressive web app looks identical, does exactly the same thing. It's 600 kilobytes. Hmm. Now, do you, what's the experience like when you download a progressive web app? Is that like, does that something you're going to notice on your home screen or like, is, is that just something that gets downloaded and stored in the cache? Like how does that work? How does all this work? Yeah. Yeah. And how do I launch it? Like from my, from my apps? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, one, one of the things that is magical about a progressive web app, it's called a service worker. That's what allows it to work offline and, or to work in low connectivity. So every time you access a progressive web app, you actually put a copy of that progressive web app on your phone. It's just so lightweight. You just don't see it or notice it. And you have the ability to save it to your home screen. And every browser is a little bit different. So for instance, um, on Chrome, on desktop, there's a little plus icon in your browser bar. On Android and on iOS devices, there are ways that you can actually prompt a user to do it. And you can choose when you want to prompt them to do it, as another example. But it saves to your home screen and looks just like a native mobile app. You don't know the difference, except that you didn't go to the app store to get it. Does this Apple, um, does, does Apple, cause I know at one point when you would download an app that wasn't listed in the app store, they used to like give you like a warning. This might be a dangerous app. Like you can download it, but you're probably going to fry your phone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is they, do they still do that with this kind of thing? Or you can, you're able to get around that without like a giant warning on the screen. Yeah. So that doesn't happen. Apple does support service workers and they do support progressive web apps. They just don't like to call them progressive web apps because they now say that's a Google invented term. They want to call them HTML5 apps or home screen apps. Um, So they have their new term for it, but it's the exact same, exact same thing. And they're supporting all the technology behind it. That's pretty cool. Here's the thing. I think this is where people, you know, have maybe like a different view on the app store. Um, you know, yes, Apple makes a lot of money on the app store, but a majority of their revenue comes from devices. And if you look at what they've put out in the last 18 months, especially around the requirements for being in the native app store, they, they specifically call out that if your experience can be delivered somehow on the web, that's where it belongs. Like you should only be submitting to the native app, to the app store if it only can be done that way. Because they're really trying to clean out the clutter. Yeah, and one of the things I was hearing from um, a company that I was consulting with was that they don't want to use the App Store too because you're constantly having to update the apps and have the users go in and update, uh, having to update those as well. So if you're if you're not having to use the the main App Store, you can get around that 
which can be a very negative experience for the end users. Is that accurate too? That is correct. And with progressive web apps, every time you access it from the home screen, it's going to always have the latest version. You're never going to do something as an end user. That's cool. And is this coded in just like JavaScript? Uh, like how, how does the platform itself work? Yeah, so our platform um, is actually no code. So it's designed, we use something we call web components. So a lot of people are familiar with those things like Ionic, um, Stencil, where you can create components that are easily reusable. We have a ton of those, so visual elements, think things like buttons, images, video players, et cetera. And then we, enter, we also have what we call features, which are integrations. So like an integration to like Salesforce or to Twilio. Like I'm a marketer. I don't know how to send it. Like I don't know how to integrate with Twilio to send a text message. I don't want to learn. So, but our platform has a way for me to add that to an app, go in and configure what I want my message to be by typing out the words, connect it to the, the form someone's going to submit and it sends a message and just does it for me. So, and that's really the future of, of all platforms, honestly. Wow, that's that's super cool, and 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 it's it's almost like so it almost has like a drag and drop feature, kind of like a Shopify. Yeah, it really does, and the difference too with it is kind of similar to the web. It can work on mobile, and it'll look just like a mobile app, but it also can work on tablet and desktop. That's fantastic, and does it serve like? Does it? Do you program it so it pops up if you go to like? the web page and will it serve it to mobile one way and desktop another or does it like how how does one uh find the app experience i mean how does it how how, how do you how do you go to it as yes an as an end user it's really around your app activation and so that's going to be um really anything tied to qr code text URL or NFC. So think about any place you can put a call to action. Now that can be a way to access the app. Mm -hmm. Got it. So what kind of, what kind of verticals have come to your company? Like what kind of industries are you serving with this right now? Is there been a kind of a specific type of vertical that has uh, come to you that you've been, that you specialize in or do you, I, I know you said earlier that you help marketers. But to elaborate on like the type of companies that are, are coming to Lumivate and um, taking you up on this uh, service offering. Yeah, what's been really fascinating is it's been companies of all sizes, right? From small business to mid-market to enterprise across almost every single industry, right? So we work with brands and healthcare. We work with brands that are in consumer packaged goods. For instance, like one of the largest wineries and, and wine companies in the world is one of our customers that uses us for image recognition to create a really cool and engaging experience tied to their wine. We have we power internal communications for some really large enterprise brands. We also do events. And I think what's really interesting about our platform and where there's a lot of flexibility is there isn't any use case you can think of that you couldn't do on our platform. Can, can you do games too? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say the only thing I would tell you is if you want to do, you know, like really intense gaming, such as like Fortnite, um, the web likely across if you want to be across all browsers, probably is a little bit more catch up to do mm -hmm. in order to be able to support that in a progressive web app way completely. But there's some really cool things that are happening with um, augmented reality and even virtual reality on some of the browsers that's in beta that I think is going to make gaming on the web, even more possible. I mean, Google's made announcements about that a couple of years ago now around where they're headed with gaming on the web. 
Yeah, uh, and uh, they they just you know entered tried to enter the gaming market with their uh, little gaming platform that uh, seems not so popular. <laughs> yep. Uh, so okay, uh, Google's only good at one thing. They're good at search. They suck at social media and everything else. So okay, uh, they're good at YouTube too. I I I have a couple of questions regarding first of all the, the kind of the future. Uh, of the web because you mentioned augmented reality uh qr Mm. codes to me they never really took off i don't uh we need to change that thinking i i (laughs) i just yeah i i it's kind of like fetch isn't gonna happen uh you know okay let me tell you why i thought the exact same thing until like three and a half years ago okay but here's why it's different now there's an entire generation that is younger than i am that is growing up around qr codes and they don't call them qr codes they call them snap codes or they call them whatever right so snapchat all your social media platforms that's how they can connect with other users but that's how they can share spotify playlists so if you look at people that are really under the age of 30 like they're growing up with those and they're doing them what is called a creative qr code where the actual like brand iconography is embedded in the qr code so it looks Mm. pretty it's not just a square but they're using those. And then you're seeing, especially worldwide, when you go over to like APAC, you can use a QR code and order all of your groceries in China and the subway and have them at your door before you get home hmm. just by scanning QRs. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And and so there, I mean, there's definitely uh I could see I could see there being a, a shift eventually here in the Netherlands. Uh they have a, a system where you get a scanner. It, when you walk in the store and you just scan all your stuff as you uh, as you put it in your basket, and then you hand the lady a scanner, and then she takes the cash. Uh, so it's it, there, there. There's definitely a, a move towards this sort of thing. And you mentioned augmented reality. You know, we're we're in the weirdest time in human history right mm-hmm. now. Just the weirdest time. What what is your prediction with all of this? Where do you think it's all going to go? Because you mentioned also something that. Uh, I find interesting, which is how kids are behaving differently. As you said, if they get rid of Fortnite, they get rid of TikTok, what are they going to do, right? Uh, hopefully they'll invent something that will free us all. But uh, uh, but I mean, like, what what is the the outcome of this? Yeah, so one of the things that I would have told you prior to COVID-19 was around NFC, so near-field communication. So the ability for you to tap your phone to something and bring up some sort of mobile experience. And most people know that with like Apple Pay, Android Pay. And that's been really locked down for Apple until they launched the 10S. Once they did that, they opened it up. And now in the 11 obviously has it too, where you don't need a native mobile app to do it. And NFC tags, which have been around for a long time and always supported on Android, are now at a cost where they're really cheap to be able to embed. So you're seeing place, people like Nike embed them in jerseys. And where it's able, you can tap your you know, phone to the jersey and get a personalized experience for that player, which is really, really cool. How, mm-hmm. Can you guys hear this? Yeah, it's not okay. like a race car track. Is that, is that a race car no, track? No, it sounds outside? like murder hornets. Right? <laughs> Let me try and move somewhere else. They are like direct two floors above me. Apparently, it could standing. be a race of murder hornets. Uh, a, a murder hornets of... race in oh your God. house. <laughs> there they are. They're it's coming. So what? What? What is that? That is a like uh, a chainsaw or something, or what is that? Sounds like it, right? Hold on, let me try and go to a different room and see if it's better. Okay. There, there, um, are, there. We uh, 
you should just let them know that you're doing a podcast with the famous marketing geeks and they they need to just like cool their jets yeah. literally yeah if they want to be on the show they can get in line okay Correct. they don't have to just like be as loud as they can but you know but, but, but here's what's funny here's what's funny because we're not going to edit this but because, because <laughs> no seriously this is real life and, and this is part of the thing that's that's hysterical to me is that uh, remember like a year ago when there was that BBC reporter and the, the two children walked in and the nanny or the his wife like dove in and grabbed the kids and pulled them out while he's trying to do the serious report. Uh, we, we are now like so used to just being in people's living rooms and dealing with this sort of thing. Uh, so, I mean, that's one of the things that I really see starting to be a shift. But you were you were mentioning uh, RF tags and 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 being close to people. But you could also use that for contact tracing. Uh, yes. Well, and not even just RF tags. So like RF tags are with right radio frequency mm-hmm. where you can, and they involve Bluetooth. Um, with NFC, it's a little bit different. Everyone's used to tapping their phone for Apple Pay now. And with this whole move towards like a contactless environment, no one wants to touch things anymore. So mm-hmm. it's going to actually speed it up even more than we would have anticipated. So I think what you'll start to see is soon, especially in the United States, when adoption of the, like the last two versions of the iPhone start to roll, really take over more and more companies will start using nfc we're also seeing qr codes because you know i can't get off this one um grow even more because if you've been to a restaurant lately none of them have menus they have qr codes on their table that you scan to get the menu i noticed that so you're right yeah i could you 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 have a you have a very very good good point and once again i am i'm proven absolutely incorrect well well, i will say this andros that rf tags are are very handy at harry potter world at universal Mm. studios because you can hold your magic wand, and if you do it right for like on your eighth attempt, it'll it'll do something. So yeah. it just takes like eight tries, and then it works. So, so well, and you bring up you bring up a really interesting point about cultural shift. I mean, I I was at the mm-hmm. zoo uh, the other day with my son, and I saw something really interesting, which was this two to three year old little girl walking over to the to the hand sanitizer, sanitizing her hands, and I was like. Man, I mean, like she's got it down, and that's what she is going to grow up with. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, you're right that that will speed it up. But what what do you think lies beyond this with the the kind of the uh, the real internal questions uh, that that the Apple company has to ask and and Google itself? Like, like where are we in all of this? Well, and I think everyone needs to start asking both like Apple, Google and companies themselves, what the hell are we trying to do? And who are we trying to serve? And what's the best way to do that? I think, you know, this whole idea of like, well, I should have an app because I want my app in the app store. Like that's a decade old mantra, like stop. You know, Apple, Google Play, what are you trying to do? To You know, with the app store, are you trying to make it a profit center? If so, I think you're going to get a lot of pushback at the percentages that you're asking because companies are bigger now. There are other ways to communicate with consumers that aren't, isn't the app store. Those numbers have been plummeting in terms of adoption and engagement. If you're not, you know, Google or Facebook, you're not one of the top 10 apps in the app store. Does your, does your function, uh, your mode of app, does that allow for notifications to be turned on to inside of uh, inside of like an iPhone or, or Google or Android? Um, definitely in front and with Android. Um, Apple has not opened up push notifications, that API yet for progressive web apps. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I anticipate that's something they might do in the future. But I would also tell you who likes push notifications. Oh, I, I don't. But no I know one. that I know that um, 
marketers that are getting started think it's a good idea until they realize that nobody likes it. So yeah, I, I <laughs> shut all mine off. Exactly. Right. Because you're like the first thing, do you want push notifications? No. Um, and I'm a marketer and who loves mobile and I still don't want them, but where I always encourage people to go is text. It's such an underused channel, but 98% of text messages are read within three minutes. Yeah. Mm. Right. It has, it's highly regulated. So you're not going to get a lot of the spam that you would get, you know, with email or other, other channels with, you know, push notifications, only 40% of iOS devices get push notifications accepted, which is a really low number. And engagement is less than 5% on those, which means, you know, a small number that's actually opting in, only 5% of them are, are actually doing something with it. Whereas text, you have a 98% open rate. I mean, I think any marketer would kill for that. Yeah. And I do think that's not going to last that much longer. Um, but I agree with you right now. It's very, uh, very engaging and a very strong open rate. I, I do think like everything else, it's starting to get more and more abused. And I think we're going to get to that point where it gets so abused that it becomes like email where you like have to create a separate phone number to have like your, your text messages that are marketing messages versus like your friends. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how far it goes. Yeah. At least, I mean, every place is a little bit different, but at least the countries that are regulating it, like the United States does, and the UK is really good about it as well. So it's Brazil where they actually make you go through a process to do a long code or a short code. There are mm -hmm. requirements and stiff fines. So like, as an example, if you in the United States promote your short code and a keyword anywhere, and it doesn't have all the legal language required around how opt-ins are supposed to work, or you don't have the right, you know, messaging when someone replies stop or help, et cetera, a carrier will pull your number and it'll stop working and they won't even tell you. It's like Sprint can pull your key, your, your short code, it stops working. And the only way you know is because someone calls in and says, hey, I haven't got any text messages from you in a while as a brand. Makes sense. I mean, wow. it's, it's pretty serious. Like, and I think that's where, if email would have been done some like a similar way, and yes, I know you can have, you know, blacklisting and all that kind of stuff. But it, I feel like so much bad happens before that really get, comes into play. Um, with text messaging, a couple of complaints and you can get pulled from a carrier. Yeah, wild. Well, I, I'd like to kind of wrap up the last part of the show by by asking how do you take a platform built for marketers and market it? I mean, uh, Justin and I, for instance, uh, we we probably spend way too much money on AppSumo, and uh, <laughs> like that's our kryptonite, and and uh, it's terrible. But uh, I can't help it; I'm addicted. But but how how do you take your product and market it towards marketers? Yeah, so we I think everyone calls it ABM now. I like to call it like good B two B marketing for the last like twenty years. You've been doing it right. You've been doing it this way. But we really look at you know, who are the best companies for our platform? So we're not the platform if you just want to build one app. We're really the platform if you want to build five, 10, 20. And you have lots of use cases because the future isn't these bloated native mobile apps. It's these lightweight use cases. Like I go to my fridge and I my water filters out and I want to take my phone, tap it and get that added to my Amazon cart, right? Like that's the, those types of use cases are really where the future of engagement's held. So we figure out the companies that are best suited for those. And the marketers, and I would tell you, like, we're not for any marketer. We're for marketers who move fast, have lots of crazy ideas, who ask forgiveness, not permission, because we're, you know, our platform is for early adopters. And if you are a conservative marketer who doesn't take a lot of risk or a lot of chances, you know, building your own apps, uh, using progressive web apps and delivering them not in the app store is way too much risk for you. But if you're someone 
who is constantly pushing the envelope and the boundaries, we try and find those marketers. And that's harder than you think to do because um, not everyone puts that on their LinkedIn profile. But we really focus on that. And then we do a highly personalized outreach. So I know we were joking, Justin said earlier about like the personalized name. Um, I mean, of course, like we do personalized names, but we actually do videos where we will record a video for every prospect we're going after and about why we want to meet with them and what we know about them. And that's like, it's this line, I call it the line between creepy and cool. Like, how yeah. do you get this line between like, oh my gosh, that was really cool versus like, you know, way too much about me. <laughs> um, how much is your business worth? I mean, it'd be a shame if something happened to it. This web app will protect you from that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> You're the second person we've talked to that had that kind of strategy, though. Um, we we interviewed the the, C, the chief marketing officer of BombBomb, mm -hmm. who is one of the platforms that kind of delivers that. And and he was telling us about like the value of creating personalized video messages, sending them. And, and I can say from uh, my own experience that it, it does feel a lot different and more intimate and more personal when you get a message or a video like that versus a generic email a generic email i mean i could just tell when something's templated because i've just work, i mean i work as a marketer mm -hmm. so it's just it's so obvious to me it might not be obvious to everybody but it, it's two seconds you know one sentence into the email i could tell if it's a template or not and if i if i determine it's a template like i shut down and that's it yep. <laughs> you're out so um I, I think that is a valuable strategy yeah and this is definitely the trend that we've been seeing as well mm -hmm. where you you really do the you have to be as personal and authentic as possible uh, so, so when you, uh, I, I'm sorry, you're about to say something, I cut you off. Uh, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say it's hundred percent right around the template emails, you know, and mar marketers were cynical, right? Like we do this for a living. And so when you send us crap, crappy marketing, like it's not interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, and for us being a marketing technology platform, it's like our marketing has to be even better. Not only do we market to marketers, but we market a technology we want them to use to market to their customers. So, you know, for us, we want that wow factor. And even our, like from our first outreach, we want you to go like, holy crap, like I've never seen anything like this. Like the biggest for, like, form of comp, like really compliment, com ugh, compliment is when we see someone, like whether it's an email we send, has a video in it, or we do these really cool videos with unboxing because spoiler alert, people love to watch unboxing videos on YouTube, which I do not understand, but we do it for direct mail and it works great. <laughs> Live vicariously, I guess. Right? <laughs> But like, it'll yeah. get forwarded around a hundred times. And, you know, you'll have people go like, that video was watched a hundred times. I'm like, that one person did not watch it. They sent it to their entire team. Like that to me is like, that's how you know you're doing really good marketing is when other marketers want to steal it. Really? And, I, thought it was, I thought it was when you went on LinkedIn and you did a friend request <laughs> and then you said, dear sir, I like your website. It looks great. Have you thought about having a new website with SEO? Correct. That's those are the Please best. schedule a meeting. So, so, uh, so, so what's the production value of these particular videos? Like what, what's, how much work do you put into one and what does, tell, tell us about the content of it. Actually tell us about like the prospecting, how you mm -hmm. make the video and, and the delivery. Yeah. So when we started out um, about two and a half years ago with this idea, we did it like the hard way, right? We picked 20 companies, researched the 20 people, wrote scripts for the sales team help them film it. It was like a whole week long production, right? Like totally not scalable. But everyone thought I was crazy when I suggested we do this. And it worked. We sent them out like 3.30 on a Friday. By Monday, we had meetings booked with these large brands because I gave the sales team no parameters. And of course, they were like, Walmart, Starbucks, of course. Um, but since then, what we did 
is really worked on how do we do this at scale? And it's hard to do it until your team has done like 100 videos. Once they've done 100 videos, that's when they get good at it. And they stop thinking about like, oh, I'm on video. And I said, um, or, oh, that was weird. And I like paused for a second. People want to hear from people. If they wanted something super polished, they wouldn't do it. It's like having murder hornets in the background of a podcast track. Right now, right? Like it sounds like I'm being attacked <laughs> by murder hornets in my basement. When in reality, it's people two floors above me standing down my floors, apparently. Um, or that's what my husband sent me via text a few minutes ago. I have to apologize. You've got to, and my kids are, and just because we mentioned it, my kids are also in the basement outside of where I am right now, laying on the floor, covering their ears because it's so loud. So oh they're 14. God. They're just like, what? this. I can't work. <laughs> Welcome to 2020 and they don't have right? Fortnite. What are you going to do? Right. The world is ending. So what about, um, how are you lead sourcing? I mean, are you just picking companies that you think fit the, fit the avatar of uh, who you're targeting? And then your, your team is doing cold outreach to them. Are you running any paid traffic? Uh, what, and, what are some of the other avenues also, what, that you're employing? Give us, if you can just give us a quick breakdown of the script itself. I'm, I'm yeah. very interested in like what that looks like. Okay, yeah. So to get started, we typically run it by industry, uh, mainly because it's easier to group industries together when we do campaigns because they have similar use cases, right? So me talking to like companies in like the beverage industry for CPG, like there's common use cases how they would use it. So from a marketing perspective, that's easier. So we start there. We look to see how they've invested in, in mobile before, because if you've never invested in mobile, there's probably a reason. A lot of times it's budget. Um, that doesn't automatically exclude you, but we also look at what technology you're using on your website. Like how digital savvy are you? Is digital an investment area? And if it is, that's usually a good, a good spot for us. And then we go after, you know, the people and we try to find these people that are innovators, not people that say they're innovators on their LinkedIn profile. Like that should be like an automatic disqualifier, <laughs> I think, honestly. Um, and then, you know, our, we typically like to run ads six to eight weeks before we do any outbound. And we just run like what I call brand awareness ads on LinkedIn. So we target those companies and we target titles and we run ads that I do not expect you to convert on. Specifically just, to those titles, just yeah. to get the, the um, and, and, and Justin and I always talk about, you know, you need to have the, the seven touch points. Like people need to be exposed to your product about seven times before they really sinks in. So you make that happen first. Yes. So I take it you're optimizing for impressions then. You're not optimizing for clicks. I don't care yeah. if you ever click on it. I just want you to have seen Lumivate somewhere. And our first outreach, I call it the throwaway. And everyone hates when I say that, but it is because no one responds on the first outreach. No one. So it's not like our strongest message, right? We do the call, voicemail, email stuff. And then our second one's always video. And by this time, really, like you've seen us a couple times in your LinkedIn feed, right? Even if you don't know it, even if you don't consciously register it, you've seen it. You've seen it, right? <laughs> Um, you've gotten a call from a voicemail from us, an email from us, and now we're sending you a personalized video. And we always do these creative like subject lines. We have a really strong open rate on email subject lines. Usually it's around 35 to 40% for our prospecting emails. And, you know, we'll do like some things are better explained in person is a great example of a video open email subject line that works well for us because people are like, what the hell do you mean? And they open it and it's someone we use Giphy's with it, right? Um, we video is the platform that we use to do it and we have signs and we actually print them rather than whiteboard them because it shows that we take more time than just whiteboarding a name and it goes into a video and that video typically has a couple of different concepts so the first part is really focused and they're always less than a minute i'm super ocd and anal about that because no one wants to watch a video for more than a minute from you no one yes except maybe your mom um but maybe maybe, maybe right not, not my mom <laughs> 
Or she'll tell you she did and she stopped after 20 seconds or she couldn't poop. Or my mom. No, my mom will criticize how bad it was before she even watches it. You know, mom, we have analytics that can track how long you watch. You did not watch it. It doesn't matter. You need to shave. Right? (laughs) What kind of lighting was that in? Um, So the first, you know, usually like 30 seconds is about you and what we know about you and why we want to talk to you. So it's we try and find things that are not super obvious. So we're not going to be like, Hey, I saw that you went to Franklin college. We're going to be like, Hey, I saw that, you know, when the last time you spoke on this topic, you said this, and I found it really interesting because of why. Do you address the camera like directly to the camera? Mm-hmm. And is it one yep. shot or do you have like overlays and stuff that goes like do you one have- shot, one shot. So you got one take, one shot, one take. Okay. And it takes people about a hundred, hundred videos to get to like a one take. And you just do it on your MacBook. There's a Chrome extension. Go. And you just talk to the camera and it's talk to the person. And some people will do like a post-it note or like a photo of someone and they'll stick it on the top of their MacBook. So like when they look, they're looking at a picture of just a random person or someone in their family to help like remember I'm talking to a person. And, you know, they talk about why I want to talk to you. And those can range from, like I said, something you you spoke about to, hey, I saw that your favorite, you know, food is Tim Hortons donuts. Like, where did that come from? Super curious about that. Would love to know more. And then the last, you know, 20 seconds is usually about, you know, who we are and what we're trying, why we want to help you and how we think we can help you. So really condensed way. And then we tell people like, you know, we'll be continuing to reach out and you can book a meeting at the end of the video if you want to. And I would say that drives a lot of meetings for us. And then we always follow it up by direct mail. And so when you, when you, do you just embed the video in directly in the email? Wow. This is, uh, I got to say, you could just this, you could sell this. This is brilliant. I, I love it. Um, so wait, real quick. So the, the call to action in the video is to book a call. Um, what percentage of people are booking calls on that first engagement versus like additional follow-up? Do you, do you track that at all? And I know you say you do, you do a direct mail outreach after as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, like, are, are you getting most of those on the first email that goes out or, or are some of them actually coming from the follow-up? Yeah. So with video, um, and it depends a little bit by industry, right. And the size of companies we're going after. So I'll talk about one, um, with sporting venues. We went after professional sports teams. We booked meetings with 70% of the accounts we went after in a two month period. Um, about half of those were booked after the first video. And we always do because we do know and we can stalk you and know whether or not you watch the video. If you haven't three days later, we kind of like reply to that email and say, Hey, noticed you haven't watched this and, and um, how do you how do you you track that with what well, yeah it's all done through vidyard which is a platform that we use video yard vidyard yep vid yard i think i know that uh, that that yeah. platform there's a few platforms that have that functionality but okay. there are and, and then and, oh sorry go on i was gonna say and then like for direct mail i mentioned these unboxing videos and it's a fun creative way this is probably the most produced version of video, of video you're going to get from my team is we typically send, I mean, we're in like scale up mode. We don't have like these ginormous budgets. You're not getting an iPad from us, right? You're getting like a $4 money tree because that's a, <laughs> like a thing you can do. And we have these creative cam- campaign concepts around it. So like with the money tree one, we did this whole thing around how like we can help you grow your business. And so we had, we took the box and did a green screen behind it. Like we were in a jungle and actually had someone open the box and explain what was all in there. It was like a 30 second video. It looked like we were in a jungle. So that's what you see. And the Giphy is someone like pretending to open a box in a jungle. And you're kind of like, what the hell is this? 
<laughs> and we had people after that literally and we said like we'll send it you'll should see it in three days we had marketers like directors and above at enterprise brands emailing and calling us three days later because they hadn't got their box yet and i'm like this is like a <laughs> this is a three to four dollar money tree like it's not that but it was just we created this experience for them and they were excited about what was next and what was in it and so like those are probably the most polished ones that we do and we do typically one of those per direct mail piece and we send it to everyone um, but that's another creative way that we've used video. And then we obviously, once it's delivered, we call and we tend to book a lot of meetings from there as well. You know, and, and the thing that's awesome about this is that you're bringing joy with just in, because everybody hates a friggin' sales pitch, everybody. Right. But, right. but, but you're, you're, you're really entertaining these people. And at the end of it, they're laughing so hard. They're like, yeah, whatever. I like, it, this is the best first impression ever. I would love to work with you guys. It's, uh, you know, getting, getting, uh, serving dopamine up on a silver platter. Uh, so this is, yeah, this is the, the I mean, that, that alone is like an amazing bit of, uh, brilliance. And did you come up with all this? Yeah. I just, I think Bravo. what's interesting, thank you about my career is I've always challenged like what's possible. I always like, I, I'm a big fan of the West wing and president Bartlett was always like, what's next. That's kind of like my mantra. Like well, what's next? We did this. What's next. What can we do that? No one else is doing. And it doesn't mean that you have to have this huge budget and these, you know, ridiculous resources to do it. You can do a lot with very, very little. And it's just about being creative and taking a concept like, right. Everyone does email and prospecting. What if we did it differently? You know, when we do um, LinkedIn connection requests, we don't do that stuff where everyone's like, hi, I like, I was so impressed by your company. I want to learn more. And then you, you know, accept the connection. And I get an immediate like calendar. Do you want to schedule a meeting? Here's my calendar. Um, we do reach out via LinkedIn connection requests, but our message says, Hey, we share a lot of information, a lot of resources around mobile. We think you find helpful and might want to see in your feed. We promise to never hit you up for a meeting on LinkedIn and we mean it. <laughs> right. And we have a really high connection rate because of it. Yeah. And then you see all of our content in the feed. We're liking your feed. And we hear from people, you're everywhere. I'm not really everywhere. We're, I mean, we're a scale-up company. We're not, we're not Salesforce. I don't have the resources of Salesforce. But what I do have is a strategic way of making sure that wherever you are, you're going to see us around the same time. So it feels like we're everywhere. Yes, you have a... You have a strategy of like creating the illusion of being everywhere to, yep. to everyone, um, which I think is uh, is pretty brilliant. And then on top of that, you're running a podcast and you, yeah. you have other content, I'm sure, uh, that's being produced as well to create even further um, interactions with the yeah, tell customers. Us, tell us where we can find you and, and where, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, so we um, have a podcast. It's called I have a podcast called Real Marketers. We just kind of launched the new season of it. It used to be formerly known as Mobile Matters, but we're very focused on telling this real, I call them like the real marketing truths, right? Like the marketers who move fast, get shit done. Like that's what we want to tell those stories. I don't want to hear any more stories of like, this was so wonderful and they never failed. Cause guess what? Marketing's hard. People fail. Like I'd rather hear a story of failure than I'd rather, than I'd hear a story of like success. So we're really focused on that. So you can find us anywhere. Um, you listen to podcasts. We have, really great guests on from a lot of really big brands and you know how I get them. I just ask, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, Amazing. Right. Like I don't know half the people. I just ask. Do you, do you reach out with a video too, when you pitch the podcast a lot of times? Sometimes. Um, I slide into a lot of people's DMS on Twitter and I'm just really creative, like specifically about why I want to talk to you. 
And I think that's what stands out, right? Like, I'm not like, hey, I have this podcast. Would you like to be on it? I'm specific about like, hey, like for instance, the CMO of MGM Resorts, she loves Tim Hortons Donuts because she was born in Canada and she's Canadian. And so like when I reached out to her, I was like, hey, would you like, here's like the three good things I think you'd be amazing to talk about on the podcast. And if you do it, I'll get you some Tim Hortons Donuts, <laughs> right? Like that's how I got, I mean, that's how I got her. So a lot of times it, you just have to ask and realize that what, where is someone going to say no? Okay. The world's not over. Yeah. Interesting. And then the company, so uh, people want to reach the company and learn more about the company. It's called Lumavate, L-U-M-A-V-A-T-E, correct? That's correct. Thank you for not calling it Lumavate, which <laughs> Lumavate. is what everyone calls it usually. Lumavate.com. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and again, so anybody can go there and how do they engage? Do they do they go on the site and book a, uh, book a demo, book a call? What's the best way for them to kind of uh, get started if they go check out Lumavate? Yeah, you can definitely book a call, book a demo, all those things. But by the time this episode drops, you'll be able to create a free account and create an app for free. Ooh. Ooh. All right. That's cool. Well, uh, Marketing Geeks app, here we come. (laughs) So, uh, uh, Stephanie, uh, before we go, got to find out, uh, what are you most geeky about right Mm. Oh, right at the moment? Okay. I would say I'm geeky about Coca-Cola. I'm, like, obsessed with Coke. Um, It's a problem. My grandfather worked for 35 years for Coca-Cola. So I grew up like, do you want milk, water, or Coke for dinner? Um, do you know the recipe? So, do you know the secret recipe? Ha- <laughs> I do not know the secret recipe, but I have had Coke straight off like production floor um, after it's been bottled. So that is probably the thing most people know me for. It's very unusual to not find me with a Coke in my hand. And then I would say like what I am most like interested in right now is my daughter I have twins they're 14 and my daughter and I have been doing this little fun cooking show because I'm trying to teach her how to use social media responsibly and so we've been filming I cook everything from scratch and so and she's been learning for years on how to do the same thing so we film these videos and post them on social media and she's been learning how to use Instagram and Facebook and Twitter all in the right way and how to edit video so that's kind of like what my free time is now and millions of views I mean, not re- I mean, not really millions of views. <laughs> I mean, my mom watches. Um, no, we do have we have a growing following. It's probably less than a hundred people. Um, but I think what's best about it is, you know, I don't write recipes down; they're all in my head. And so this is like a great way for like all my family who's like, "Yo, oh, can you share that recipe?" And I'm like, "I mean, no, because mm. I don't know it. It's, I just do it." So this has been really great for that. But then also, you know, as she gets older, she's going to have this whole collection of videos of us cooking together, oh, and that's it's, so sweet. which is cool. And she's just, you know, she tends to be a little bit quieter and have like a mm. more reserved personality. And this has really helped her open up and get a lot of confidence, you know, with eventually like I, she doesn't realize this, but I'm teaching her how to speak in front of people and speak on camera. Um, I like that. She doesn't so, she has no people, idea that you're doing it too. She doesn't realize it. No, she thinks it's like fun, right? She doesn't realize like I'm teaching her all these she skills. She thinks it's fun, but it's obviously not fun. She's so, preparing her for her career. I, I, I've gotten I've gotten way into uh, cooking and uh, mm-hmm. and actually uh, my geek thing is uh, if you haven't read the book Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, uh, it will I highly recommend it because it will up your cooking game like crazy. You'll okay. like, I, I, I didn't realize I've been doing vegetables wrong. My, my, I'm a pretty good cook, but 
uh, I got like I, I, I it, it kind of warped my little brain a little bit with just some of the things, the way that it's laid out. Uh, there's a Netflix uh, show as well, but okay. uh, the book is fantastic. Yeah, they're really good recipes, uh, salt, fat, acid, heat. And uh, yeah, that's my geek thing for the week. That and the Batman trailer, new Ooh, Batman, Batman trailer. So uh, Colin Justin- Farrell does not look like Colin Farrell in that Batman trailer. I'll tell you that much. I heard, I heard he's a penguin, right? He's the penguin, and they show like a, they show him for about a half second on the in the trailer, but he looks nothing like Colin Farrell. It's weird. So I just don't know if I can get. I don't know if I can get behind Rob Pattinson as Batman. Yeah, it's a weird cast. He's actually bringing a bit of emo to Batman, and emo is a little. Batman is a little emo, Ooh. so he he brings that. And I, you know what? Listen, uh, don't sell uh, don't sell him short because I think a lot of people think of him still as the Twilight guy. The guy, yeah. the guy's good. He really is. I, I will say in that trailer, because I did watch the trailer, there's a scene where Batman is standing in a like lit room with a bunch of police officers, and his outfit looks pretty silly um, when he's surrounded by a bunch of cops in like a in like a well lit room. It looks a little ridiculous, but uh, I did enjoy the trailer. I, I thought Rob Pattinson looked good in what in the clips that they showed. I think Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon is an excellent choice. And he's the guy that plays Bernard on Westworld. Uh, he's the new Gordon. I think that's a smart casting choice. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. That's I guess that's my geek right there is uh, I'm geeking out over Batman. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, Stephanie Cox, thank you so much for educating me with your, you know, with uh, with brilliant uh, marketing. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to totally do that. Now. And for reminding the world of murder hornets and the dangers that they pose. They're still here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, we still got zombies on my Apocalypse uh, 2020 Apocalypse bingo card. So uh, <laughs> you never know, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Stephanie Cox, everybody. That was, uh, that was amazing, yeah. man. It was. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So Batman's coming out. Anything you want to leave us with, buddy? No, I mean, just uh, Batman. I I think Robert Pattinson, I'm actually, I'm, I'm bullish. I think he's going to be good. I think Robert Pattinson's good. My my bigger concern is I think the costume looks a little bit ridiculous, as I mentioned earlier, um, in certain aspects. It looks okay. It's a little, sometimes it looks crazy. Sometimes it looks okay. Uh, but I, I'm I'm excited for that film. Uh, hopefully, it actually gets made. Even in the preview now, they, it says like in production. They let you know that because they're like, who knows if we get shut down again? <laughs> do you Do you know what I actually like about it? What's that? It, is that uh, it isn't overloaded with special effects? Everything not, looks not, not yet. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. There was like really no special effects highlighted in that trailer, which is refreshing. One of the things that terrified me about the new Terminator film was when they like the first trailer came out and then it was like an airplane action scene oh God, an airplane yeah, action scene what? i don't want that i want low budget i was i was having such a good night until you brought up the memory of that that uh that thing i've stepped in things better than that movie <laughs> you know uh but uh, tenants coming out next week not here in in the u.s uh, it's, it's indefinitely delayed is my understanding in the u.s oh in fact in fact i think that it's coming out tomorrow here internationally good for you we're not gonna we're not gonna get it yeah another yet yet another reason why this country rules we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see tenant in uh like i don't know march of 2022 well the question is are you gonna see tenant (laughs) or are you gonna see the new mutants like first what's gonna Uh, i'm not gonna see the new mutants Uh, i mean unless i'm unless it gets like incredible reviews which i don't think it will 
I'm pretty sure I'm going to completely skip that movie because I'm pretty sure it's going to be horrible. Who are you to judge, man? <laughs> and with that, ladies and gentlemen, be safe, be kind to one another. We are the Marketing Geeks. We are out. And stay classy. Marketing Geeks, come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. On the surgeon and Justin Womack, the fun will never end. It's Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks.